Good evening. A warm welcome to the service uh, tonight. Let's worship God. John McSween will lead us in prayer in Gaelic, please. Shul, 
Jeg synes, det er rart, at vi tager pause. Jeg synes, det kan blive pause i en anden. Det kan blive at det er en pause. Jeg vil ikke gøre det ikke tjent. Jeg synes, det er ikke kender, at russet slår ned i den. Det bliver ikke at vi tager det ikke af. Jeg synes, det er ikke af det kvæste med en kætten. Jeg synes, det er ikke en makkebe. Det er ikke så pause. Det er ikke en kvæste med en kætten. Det er så kokko vette han, og det er kokko morer, og nå lejtjen pælsta nå. Og ved du så vui, og hup skal du gå, vui jeg kan kan gi sig. Skal du gå vui og nå vui, så kan han vas. Så det er jo kvusse hast, og han var så med slåret pratige. Kan vi gjøre det ved så hans liv, og gå inn med hennes kusur, nå er det skakt i øst og skjeur. Amen. If you could turn now, please, in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 23. Genesis 23. We've been following the life of Abraham and uh, Sarah over the last while, and we come to uh, the chapter where uh, Sarah's death and burial are recorded. So Genesis 23, and we'll read the whole of this chapter. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am an alien and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so that I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. He said to them, If you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar. On my behalf, so that he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people, and he replied to Abraham in, his, in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of his city. No, my lord, he said, listen to me, I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people, bury your dead. Again Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in their hearing, Listen to me if you will. I will pay the price of the field, accept it from me, so that I can bury my dead there. Ephron, Ephron answered Abraham, Listen to me, my lord, the land is worth 400 shekels of silver, but what is that between me and you? Bury your dead. Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms, and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight current among the merchants. So Ephron's field in Machpelah, near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the border of the field, was legally made over to Abraham at his property in the presence of the Hittites, who had come to the gate of the city. Afterwards, Abraham buried his wife Sarah, in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is at Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were legally made over to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. 
Amen. And may God bless that reading of his word to us. Let's pray as we turn back to God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are able to say with the psalmist that uh, it's good for us to draw near uh, to God. We thank you that we are able to do that, that uh, even though we are sinners, we thank you that we can ask for our sin to be removed from us. And we have the promise that when our faith is in Jesus and his blood, uh, our sins can be forgiven. And we thank you that that enables us to, to draw near to you, to come into the presence of the Holy God. So minister to us, Lord, we pray. As we confess our sin, we ask that you would receive us in Christ. And we pray that you would speak to us uh, through your word, that you would help us to be alert, especially at the end of the day, uh, when we can be tired and when we can be distracted. We pray that you would uh, sharpen our minds and give us that sense of expectation uh, that we would hear uh, your voice. So help us, Lord, we pray, those of us in the building, uh, tonight, we thank you for each other and the encouragement that we receive as we come together in your name. And we pray for those who we can't see, but who are, who are watching uh, in their homes, that you would bless them, that you would draw near to them and minister to them as we pray that you would minister uh, to us here. Uh, so hear our prayers. Go before us, we ask. Help us. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There are some places that, we, uh, that we're taken uh, or we visit and we spend a little time there, but um, we might, after having spent a little time there, wonder why we went there in the first place. And I was thinking back, forgive me for speaking of my childhood twice in one day, but um, I was thinking back to when uh, I was a wee boy, probably nine, ten years old. And uh, sometimes, in fact, almost every week, uh, if I can remember rightly, on a Saturday when my dad was studying in Aberdeen, uh, we'd be taken away, um, myself and my mum and my sisters and maybe one or two other people would would go away to, to visit various places, places of, of historical interest at National Trust sites. Um, boys and girls, how much fun does that sound to you? It's kind of like a, a primary school uh, trip where you're told about the history of buildings and places, but it wasn't on a primary school day, it was on a Saturday. So you'd wander around these places and you'd be asked to put headphones on, you'd be given a wee uh, tour of it and, and shown all, all, all these interesting things. But the truth was, at 10 years old, I didn't find these things really interesting at all. And uh, as we were heading back home in the car, after having, we would always buy a souvenir teaspoon from the craft shop and we'd give it to my dad and I could, I could see as he would receive this uh, souvenir teaspoon, I could see in his face, he'd always say thank you, but really what his face was saying, I don't know, what kind of joy you expect me to find uh, uh, from this. So as we went home in the car, after me having missed a whole day of football, I'd be thinking, why did we have to go there in the first place? And having read Genesis 23, uh, we might wonder, uh, why did we have to go to Genesis 23? Why is there a chapter uh, where we're given in the main part of the chapter, the, the details of a deal that Abraham is working out with some people called the Hittites uh, in order to find a, a place for his wife uh, Sarah to be, to be buried. Because the main part of the, the chapter is the detail of, of the deal. And in some ways, when we contrast this chapter, Genesis 23, with the previous chapter where we see Abraham being asked to sacrifice 
Isaac and that whole story. And we can see that, that chapter, Genesis 22, it's just packed with significance that, that takes us to, to Jesus. We, we see all these lessons in Genesis uh, chapter 22. But when we come to Genesis 23, we might be wondering, what are we supposed to learn here? You know, what lessons in discipleship are we supposed to uh, take from Genesis 23? And uh, for tonight, um, we've got three uh, lessons that we can draw from uh, this chapter. The first one is God's people still have to go through hard times. It's the first thing that we see. The second thing we'll see is that God's people are aliens and strangers in this world. We're seeing that in Genesis. We're also seeing that in First Peter. And the last thing uh, that we see in this chapter is that God's promises, uh, they're trustworthy. And we, we actually see them in this chapter just beginning to come true. So first of all, God's people still go through hard times. Look at verses 1 and 2. It tells us there that Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Now through the ages and still today, you know, you can switch on. Don't do it, but you could switch on uh, channels on the TV, God TV type channels. And there will be false teachers who tell you that if you follow God, everything in your life will be fine. You'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy, you'll be happy. That's the message that they try and sell as they ask you for a donation for their ministry. And it's lies. It's not the teaching of the Bible. It's a false teaching. God's people still have to go through hard times. That's the the teaching of the Bible. And ever since Genesis 3, uh, when sin came in, we see the world starting to decay uh, and there's suffering and we see very quickly death and God's people, they were not and they are not immune to these things. And so here we see Abraham and he's having to, to endure one of the, the, the hardest things imaginable. He loses his wife. She dies at 127 years old. And interestingly, that's the only place in the Bible uh, that we're told uh, the the age of a woman uh, when she dies. It's it's one little thing that points us to the the the, the value, the significance, the weight uh, that was given to to Sarah uh, as a character. She's held up Hebrews eleven, isn't it, in the hall of faith uh, as one who was faithful in following God, and we saw that in in. Um, First Peter this morning as well. She's used as an example uh, in discipleship. And when we were going through that this morning, uh, we, if we weren't in Genesis, we might not have given too much thought to that. Sarah, she's an example of, of a great godly wife. And uh, that's the truth, she is. But having read what we've read over the last few weeks and, and, and knowing what we know, when we think about Abraham and Sarah, we, we might think, well, there's quite a lot of things in their lives that, that they, they really shouldn't have done. They stray, they fall, uh, they fail, and yet they're held up uh, as an example of those who, who are disciples. And um, Matthew Henry, when he's making a comment on that, I can't remember, was it in Peter or Genesis I was reading, but um, he says, Sarah's infidelity and 
derision. Remember when she laughed when she was told of God's promise and her infidelity at times when she doubted. Uh, Sarah's infidelity and derision are overlooked and her virtues are celebrated. That's in, in First Peter. And I thought as I was reading that, that's such a, a good illustration of the grace of God. Think about the fact that uh, our God, he is forgiven. And we all fall and we all fail and we're all guilty of infidelity at times. We, we're all those who, who are prone to wander and we remember that and the devil loves to throw that at us. But when we confess our sin, our sins are forgiven and God remembers our sins no more. So in the distance between uh, Genesis and Hebrews, we have a, a record of Sarah and there's no note of her sin, but there's a clear record of the occasions uh, when she is faithful. She is an, an example and all the works are recorded for us to encourage us as well, but she's an example of one uh, who, who followed God faithfully, not perfectly, but faithfully, right to the end. And here uh, we see Abraham uh, as a man who has lost his wife and he mourns for her. Uh, he, he weeps for her. Warren Wearsby, the, the commentator, uh, says, Even Jesus wept, John 11. Grieving is one of God's gifts to help heal broken hearts when people we love are taken from us in death. Paul did not tell the Thessalonian Christians not to weep. He cautioned them not to sorrow as others who have no hope. And so we see Abraham, and he's going through a hard time. Abraham feels that real cutting sorrow. Abraham has to deal with the, the painful details of organizing his wife's burial. And the point to note here is that God sees all this. This is recorded in Genesis 23 because God wants us to know that he sees Abraham and he sees us when we're going through hard times. And all of us go through hard times to different degrees. And the, the point to take for our encouragement is that, that God is with us, just as he was with Abraham. When he and when we go through hard times, it can be death and the grief, the mourning that we suffer. It can be anxiety sometimes in our lives that overwhelms us for a season. It can be a depression where we sink into a pit that we feel that we can just never get out of. It can be breakdown in relationships. It can be disappointments. There are hard things in this world that God's people uh, still have to go through. And so we see Abraham here, and he's weeping, and he's sorrowing, and God is there to comfort him. And God sees Abraham in the midst of planning the burial, and he's with him. And we need to know that. The devil would love to tell us that God is not with us when times are hard. The devil will sometimes try to tell us that God is sending hard times our way to punish us. But what God is telling us in Genesis 23 is that hard times are, are not punishment. Uh, they are not a season where he has abandoned us. Rather, he is with us and he will sustain us and he will help us in these difficult seasons as he, he did uh, to Abraham. Remember Isaiah 43, it's such a, a well-known, but it's a... It's, such an encouraging passage when God says through Isaiah, when you pass through the waters, as you will. 
I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So that's the first point to know. God's people still go through hard times, but he is with them. He is with us in the midst of these hard times. The second thing to to see here is that God's people, uh, we are aliens and we are strangers in this world. And I think we should pay particular uh, notice to this because uh, we're hearing this both from Peter in 1 Peter chapter um, 2, was it? Uh, And also we're hearing it in in Genesis 23. Uh, I didn't plan this. I wasn't even conscious really of the, the double emphasis, but we can't not notice this as we come to these two passages at the same time. We are aliens and we are strangers in this world. Look at verses 3 to 6. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am an alien and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site so I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You're a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. And so uh, we go on into the, into the details of the, the arrangement. But... Um, it might surprise us, actually, as we, as we look into this. It might surprise us to, to see just how unprepared Abraham is for, for this event. His wife is, is 127 years old when she dies. And it, it seems that Abraham is absolutely unprepared for where she will be buried. Now, my, my guess is that... Uh, Most people over a certain age have given some thought to where uh, they want to be be buried. Uh, Most people, uh, when they die, have already arranged for a a place where they'll be buried. They've bought a a lair. They they know where their remains will be laid. They know the the site of the burial as to their family, but not Abraham and Sarah. Uh, She dies, and we don't know was it expected uh, or was it Sudden was it unexpected, but there seems to be no plan for for her burial. And and when she dies, we'd we'd expect to read about Abraham, you know, making some Old Testament phone calls and 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 sending news back to the place of their birth. We'd expect uh, Abraham maybe to making uh, arrangements to head back to the, the the place where they were born. But that's not what Abraham does because God has called Abraham Genesis twelve. Uh, to leave the place of their birth, uh, to follow him. And that's what he's been doing with Sarah since Genesis 12 for, for 53 years. Poor Sarah, who probably had all the, the, the plans that, that we have. We have our own plans when we think about our lives and what we might do and where we might go and how we might spend our time. And uh, in Genesis 12, Abraham receives this word from God. Uh, Sarah is with them. And all their plans went out the window. And for 53 years, she's living out of a suitcase. She's, she's going in a tent from one place to the next. Uh, she's taken into some dangerous situations that she should never have been put in. And now when uh, she dies, as they're still traveling, Abraham wants Sarah to be buried in the place that he, he presently was in, the place that he was moving through. And it's, it's such a strange thing for us because uh, most of us have, 
have such a strong sense of, of home. But Abraham knows and says so much in verse 4. He knows that his, his status and his calling is to be an alien and a stranger in this world. And so he makes no attempt to travel back to the place that they once called home. He simply buries Sarah uh, where they were in their journey as they follow the Lord. And this is an illustration uh, for us. This, this world is not our home. It's the application for us. This world is, is not our home. We are, we are aliens and we are strangers here. So yes, we, we form relationships. Uh, we seek to be good citizens and good wives and good husbands. And uh, we, we seek to, to, to be diligent employees in the places uh, that, we, that we work. Uh, we seek to, to care for the people around us and the environment uh, that we're in. Uh, we, we're in the world and we enjoy the blessings of being in this world, but we're always to remember that this is not our home. We are aliens, we are strangers, we are passing through, we have no continuing city here. Boys and girls, have you ever stayed in a hotel? Did you enjoy it when you were staying in a hotel? A night or two, maybe? Tell me, how many of you, when you were staying in a hotel, um, brought some paint, you know, and paint brushes and wallpaper and maybe some new carpets? Because... You might not like the decor in the hotel when you arrive there and think, well, I'd like to put my own touch on this. I, I think I'll paint the walls uh, to, to my colour scheme. I think I'll put down a new carpet. I think I'll change the furniture in here. Have any of you ever done that? Why not? Because you're just there for a wee while. Maybe a night, maybe two nights. It would be silly to spend all your money making this room look just perfect and you're only in it for a wee while and then you're gone. And that's a bit like this world. You know, we could spend all our money and all our energy uh, on, on trying to get all the kind of riches of this world. But we're only here for a wee while. And then there's forever, eternity. And Jesus has said, if we will trust him, he will prepare for us a home. Uh, that is perfect. And Abraham is heading for that place that he recognizes uh, as home. He, Abraham, he's, he's thinking about the promises of God, which he knows he won't fully enjoy in this world, but uh, he believes in the eternal God. Abraham is looking uh, to that place where he will no longer be separated from uh, Sarah. And that's God's promise for those of us who are in Christ. We could go to John 14. We're not going to do that just now. You can do it yourselves. And we have that promise uh, from Jesus of that eternal home that is gifted to us if we are trusting in Jesus. As we sang, if our hope is in Christ alone. So God's people, uh, we are aliens and we are strangers in this world. God's people, uh, we still go through hard times in this world. And the last thing is that God's promise to Abraham, uh, it was starting to come true. Now, Rewind for a moment to Genesis 12. In fact, go back for a moment just to Genesis 12 in your Bible if you've got it with you. And in Genesis 12, that's where God revealed himself to Abraham and started uh, to speak to Abraham. And he calls Abraham to leave his country, his people, his father's household, and go to the land, says God, uh, where I will show you. And so Abraham goes, and at verse 5, it says, uh, he took his wife, uh, Sarah. They set out for the land of Canaan. Note that, the land of Canaan. And they arrived there. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moriah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. 
the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land, Canaan. So that's God's promise. And then Abraham, he follows God uh, through all these years and all these chapters that we've been reading. And as we come to this chapter, Genesis 23, we ask the question, where is Abraham now on his journey? And we get the answer in verse 2, and we get the answer in verse 19. And the answer is, Abraham is in Canaan. Sarah dies, and Sarah, more importantly, is buried in the land that God promised to Abraham. And soon we'll see that Abraham and his people would be buried in this land, Canaan, that God had promised uh, to them. So one of the commentators, Hale, says, Abraham legally purchased a small field and cave in a land that would eventually be possessed by his descendants. This particular cave became the resting place not only for Sarah and Abraham, but also of Isaac and Rebekah and their son Jacob. With the purchase of this field, Abraham gained, as it were, a toehold in the promised land of Canaan. And so what we see, even at this stage, is that God's promise of land, that this land, Canaan, it was beginning to come true. And so it's just a a small thing at this stage, but this was a a token of God's faithfulness uh, to his word. God promised this land is is the land I have for you and your descendants. And Abraham, as he's burying his wife Sarah, he's burying her in this land that God had promised them. And yet, even though God promised this land, Abraham still had to do things. Abraham still had to act. Abraham had to take God at his word, and that involved dealing with the people who currently owned the land. So verse 7, Abraham rose, bowed down before the people of the land of Hittites. He said to them, if you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf. So he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him and is the is at the end of this field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. So Abraham, he, he, he starts to act on God's promise in order to purchase, to get a legal title for this land. And, and just notice here that the wisdom and the patience of Abraham. Abraham doesn't go to the people who were in that place and say, listen, I was given a promise. And this land that you're in is actually my land. God promised this to me, so hand this over. That's not how Abraham uh, deals with these people. He's respectful, uh, he is gentle, and he is careful in, in his dealings. And again, that makes me think of First Peter. In First Peter chapter 3 and at verse 15, uh, we who are Christians are told, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give, you, to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And Abraham here, he is hoping God's promise, but he is, he's gentle in his dealings. And he's respectful uh, to the people that God put in front of him on that day. Then in verses 10 uh, through to verse 15, uh, we're given the details of this deal uh, that Abraham is working out. It's basically ancient wheeling and dealing. This is the way that they, they, they came to these kind of arrangements. Um, Ephron wants the best price, although he's pretending he doesn't. 
And uh, he puts this mask of generosity on towards Abraham. He, he basically says to Abraham, you know, don't worry about it. I, I'll give you the field. Um, and I can't expect you to, to buy the field. You've gone through a hard time. Uh, you need to bury your dead. Don't worry. Don't mention anything. Uh, I'll give you the, the field. After all, it's only worth 400 shekels. And he drops the price in there because that's what he wants. And the truth was that the field was actually less it was, it was worth much less than 400 shekels. Uh, that was a high price, extortionately high price. But the Lord is not short of cash. And he provided a ram in Genesis 23, 22, sorry, and uh, he can provide the cash uh, for Abraham in this, this chapter. And uh, that's perhaps a small point in application, but it's one uh, that's worth noting. God is, is not struggling. Uh, to meet our needs. Uh, so much of, of our stress uh, is to do with how are we going to pay for this and pay for that. How are we going to be able to make provision in, in these different scenarios that we encounter in, in different seasons of life? Uh, we, we can fret about these things, but the Lord knows what we need. And uh, he is able to provide what we need. In fact, he promises that he will provide not always what we want, but definitely what we need. And so we're to trust him on that. And so Abraham, he agrees to Ephraim's terms, verse 16. And we see the, the outworkings of the deal in verses 16 uh, to 20. And we're told that the field and the cave, verse 20, in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a, a burial site. And so now Abel, Abraham, he, he has the, the lawyer's documents, he has the title, he has the deal all fully uh, worked out and witnessed, and he's able to bury Sarah. And the tomb of Sarah uh, was an ongoing reminder to Abraham of the faithfulness uh, of God. The tomb of Sarah in the place that God promised to give to the, the descendants of Abraham. It was a continual reminder that God is a God who keeps his promises. And tonight... Uh, as we finish, uh, the tomb is still a place that speaks to us of the, of the power of God's promises and his faithfulness to his promises. But we're not talking here about Sarah's tomb. Uh, we're thinking about, about Jesus. Uh, we sang in the hymn of the, the tomb that was empty. It's Jesus' tomb that speaks to us about the faithfulness of God. We could go to the end of the Gospels and we can see that the record of how Jesus' body was, was laid in that tomb. His dead body was, was laid in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, Jesus had paid the wages of our sin with his death. But that wasn't the end of the story. Because on the third day, the stone was rolled away and the tomb was found uh, to be empty. And the realization hit the woman first that Jesus was risen from the dead, just as he promised. And so the, the promise of resurrection life, the promise of forgiveness of sin, the promise of eternal life and an eternal home came true in Jesus. And the empty tomb speaks to us about the fact that God's promises can always be trusted. God's word is always true. So there's three lessons from Genesis 23. God's people, we still go through hard times, but God is with us in them.
God's people. We are aliens and strangers in this world. This is not our home. And God finally is a God uh, whose promises are true and they are proved to be true in Jesus, in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.